the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. We started so many weeks ago to prepare for this day, to prepare ourselves to take a step over the threshold from the time when we are not intensively preparing to incorporate within our hearts the resurrection of our Savior through the ascetic labors of Great Lent until this day. We understood from the beginning that this would work if we desired it. I've said so many times that the first year that I lived on the Holy Mountain, I went around to different men who were elders, and I wanted to be told things. <laughs> I would say a few things, introduce myself, they would introduce themselves, and so on and so forth. The exchange of lukum and uh, Byzantine coffee. And uh, then they would say, what do you want? And this was not what I had come there to hear. I did not need to be questioned. I wanted to question them, and I wanted them to tell me marvels and miraculous things. Well, perhaps they did. Perhaps that is the question. What do you want? The subtext of the question is, of course, do you want God? Do you desire Him? With longing, yearning, hunger, and thirst. If we can lay the foundation on that desire. And the Holy Fathers of the Church even use the scandalous and dangerous term eros for this. Not agapi, not filia, but eros. Nothing more than that entire offering of self in the context of human hunger is going to work. We found ourselves in the exile, the starving exile of the prodigal son. We found ourselves in the combat of humility and pride with the publican and the Pharisee. We found ourselves facing the searing judgment of God shocked whether we were damned or saved to find that our salvation or our damnation had to do with whether we had responded to his need. Imagine the hunger of God, the thirst of God, the nakedness of God, the imprisonment and the illness, all that. When did we see thee? and hungered, athirst, naked or sick or imprisoned, and did not minister unto thee. And then the punch line, unless ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have not done it unto me. So it is the least of the brothers whose needs to whose needs we must respond. Not the one that flatters us, not the one that we like to be with, not the one whose look, whose manner, whose voice, whose personality 
engages ours, but the one to whom I find myself somewhere between contempt and indifference. Towards him who is in my eye the least. This is the one, as my eye falls on him, it is his hunger, his thirst, his nakedness, his imprisonment, his illness, to which I must respond, if I am going to respond to God at all, at any level, in any terms. None of the lessons that lead us to this day were easy lessons. They were all lessons that involved intense self-confrontation. Not the endless and easy judging of others, reacting to others, analysis so frequently invidious of others, but rather taking a good, probing, long stare into our own heart, and asking God to reveal to us what might be there. These times should have troubled us, disturbed us deeply. For yes, we can all make the simple confession that we are sinful men. No one escapes that label. All those steps, painful as they may have been if we took them, all those steps bring us just here to the final gate, the final hurdle, the final little test. We call this Forgiveness Sunday because of the Gospel. If ye forgive men, God forgives you. Metropolitan Moses has pointed out that this puts, in fact, our salvation in our own hand. If I will forgive, I will be forgiven. But this forgiveness that I offer cannot be rhetorical. It cannot be casual. Above all, it cannot be shallow. The forgiveness has to be so complete that I literally amputate out of my being whatever it is I had against you. And it is very hard to live, humanly speaking, on this earth without gathering a lot of stuff on other people. Is there anyone, even the young, who does not know for certain that he has at one point been betrayed? This betrayal that you and I are capable of exists everywhere. Already in the Old Testament we have the phrase, it was even thou 
mine own familiar friend, we took sweet counsel together and walked as one. Who betrays us the most? You know the answer. The one we love the most. Someone to whom we are indifferent, someone with whom we are on the outs, cannot do very much damage to us. It is the ones I love to whom my heart is very accessible. It is to that one that I am the most vulnerable. Spouses, parents, children, best friends, siblings, brothers, sisters. This is where the knife can be slipped in, right up to the hilt. The pain can be unendurably intense. And yet it is precisely that pain, that betrayal, that ceasing to care, it is that that must be forgiven. For reasons that must be obvious from the text of the Gospel this morning, it is that more than anything else that blocks the grace of God from seeping into the pores of my own soul and beginning the process of purification, leading to illumination, climaxing in deification. Nothing can block the grace of God more than a hard heart, and it is precisely a heart that is hard and cold, that cannot, that does not know how to forgive. The absence of forgiveness as a continuing, typifying character of the Christian personality, that absence, more than anything else, acts as a powerful toxin within the structure of the human personality, perverting it, distorting it, corrupting it right to the core. What must be forgiven? <laughs> Everything. You take every IOU you have ever collected in your life, you touch it with a match, you burn it to an ash, and you blow it away to the four winds. It does not exist. It is gone. You will not return to that. You know what it says in the Old Testament, that vivid phrase of that to which the dog returns to his folly. Let it not be true of us. And how many times must I forgive, especially those who are closest, nearest, and dearest to me? Their capacity to hurt me is practically speaking unlimited. So do I just go on forgive? Seventy times seven. Semitic slang for as many times as it takes. 
innumerably. Ad infinitum. Endlessly. You acquire the character of a forgiving heart, of a forgiving brain, a forgiving manner. You acquire the very ethos of forgiveness in order to be forgiven yourself. And it is that forgiveness, obviously, bestowed upon our own head by God himself, that unlatches the gate of eternal life. And that gate swings open, opening wide like the arms of the Savior on the cross, stretched out, ready to receive. And the word that was spoken from the cross, Father, forgive. How many times must I remind myself of such things? How must we reorganize the data of our daily lives in order to make this a central issue? As I prepare to go to bed every night, I feel my heart the way a physician feels an organ a bodily part, to see, is there some granite in there? Has something hardened towards someone? That is what I must pray about that night. And if I am one who rises in the middle of the night to pray, I must rise with that. And I must pray about that first of all. This forgiveness, this Cosmic forgiveness, this forgivingness as the content of the Christian personality, of course, is deeply united to love. And since God is love, my capacity to forgive is indeed godly. It thrusts my life Godward as they say. It makes my life truly Christocentric and not egocentric. It is my egoism that makes it so hard to forgive others when they have belittled me, demeaned me, betrayed me, acted uncaringly, unlovingly. In some way let me know that they view me not with love. These are the hard times. But all those steps that we have taken in the preceding weeks bring us just here, just to this one place. Whatever it is, let it go. The gate is narrow through which we pass. We cannot bring baggage. Let it go. Let it go. And the grace of God floods into my heart, into my mind, my very way of thinking, into my spontaneous reactions to life itself. That being true on this day, 
Lent is already mine. Fasting has its purpose, its meaning. Fasting merely manifests the authentic hunger that I have, not physiological, not chemical, but essentially and truly theological, spiritual, God-seeking. You remember what the elder Hieronymus of Egina said, the day that you did not spend searching for the feet of your Savior is for you a lost day. We are not on this earth to lose days, to waste our time. We know what the heart of every day must be, our own searching for the feet of our Savior. And we will find him busy at our feet. For the God whose resurrection we now seek is also the God who washes our own feet. Amen and Amen.